you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to the book of Titus, where we will be continuing our, our study through this, this wonderful little epistle written to a man who is ministering on the island of Crete, to Titus. This morning, our focus will be on chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, but to give us a little bit of context, since our text this morning relates directly to what came before, and I'm going to go ahead and begin reading in verse 5 with qualifications for elders, and then I hope this will help you to see how these two passages connect together by reading it all together. Excuse me. So Titus, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any work. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have... uh, given these things to us and to our children, your word which you have given for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Our Father, we do ask that this morning as we study your word, you would teach us, that you would uh, correct us where we need correcting, that you would instruct us in righteousness. We ask, Lord, that you would do this so that we would be more conformed to Christ and we would be equipped to serve you well and truly as your people. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure many, perhaps all of you, have some experience using a GPS. They become pretty common technology these days. Everybody's smartphone has one on it, and it's a very handy thing to have, isn't it? You just type in an address, and you say, take me here, and the little voice on your phone says, turn here, turn here. Sometimes uh, tells you to turn a little bit unexpectedly when you're just driving along, and you feel like you have to make a very sharp turn. But we've all have experience with this. 
We've either ridden with somebody using a GPS or we've used a GPS ourselves. But what would you do if you put in the address that you were trying to get to and your GPS took you to someplace completely different? You might check it, make sure you put the address in. Could have been user error. But if your GPS didn't take you to the right place, you would, I think, understandably be a little bit upset. What if your GPS kept doing this over and over and over again? Well, you might check to make sure that your app was fully updated, but I think after a little bit of time, you would begin to say, well, this thing is absolutely worthless. This isn't doing what it's supposed to do. It's got all kinds of problems and it's leading me astray. Well, in our text this morning, text this morning, uh, Paul is uh, writing to Titus because there are people in the church who are leading folks astray. They're upsetting the church. They're destroying the church. And so Paul, in in writing to Titus, uh, tells him that these people need to be confronted. They, They need to be confronted by Titus. They need to be confronted by elders in the church. See, that's one of the reasons why the Lord has given elders to his church. It's so that they can build the church up, build the the people of God up in good doctrine and, and holy living, but also to confront those who need to be confronted, those people who are attacking the church from within. And we see that here in this text this morning, that elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word of God to the scriptures, so they might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And then Paul moves into this section we look at, which, which shows us, I think, that we need the correction of God's word. We need the correction of God's word because of bad doctrine, because of ungodly cultural influence in our lives, and because of the root problem of both of these things, namely bad hearts unregenerate hearts, things which which all need to be confronted by the word of God. We need God's word because of problems with doctrine, problems with culture, and problems with the heart. And those are the three uh, different uh, divisions which are in your bulletin this morning, uh, divisions which I think helpfully break down this text so that we can see uh, what's going on here, what Paul is talking about with Titus and some of the things which we ourselves must address in our own lives, in our own church, uh, in our own families. We see that Paul is addressing problems with doctrine in verses 10 and 11. He's addressing problems with culture in 12 and 14. And he's addressing problems with the heart in verses 15 and 16. And all of this really has to do with a certain group of people who are, are in the church of Crete, shipwreck, but each of these various issues seem to uh, be evident in the lives of these false teachers. So with those three things in mind, let's go to God's word and, and see what it says to us about these different things, about the problems with doctrine and culture and with the heart. We see first Paul is addressing uh, problems with doctrine, or really problems with false teachers. In verses 10 and 11, 
Paul writes these words to Titus under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. What we see here, a very disappointing, I suppose you could say, but very real and relevant fact uh, that are false teachers present in the church of Crete. They're there. They're working. They're working against the, the work of the gospel, really, because they're, they're teaching things they ought not to teach. But we see here that there's many of them present. Paul begins this by saying there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, you know Paul has never been uh, hesitant or shy to call out false teachers at other congregations uh, when he was writing to them. If you think back to 1 Timothy, he speaks about these two men, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who were making shipwreck of their faith. They were making shipwreck of other people's faith as well because they were false teachers. Paul uh, confronts other false teachers constantly in the writing of his letters. Uh, throughout the epistles. And that, I think, ought to show us that there's actually quite a big problem with the church in Crete, isn't there? Because Paul isn't calling out one or two people by name. There's not just one or two people here in Crete who are causing problems. There are many in this church, many who are described as being insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. These are people who do not want to submit to any kind of authority. They're, they're insubordinate. They're rebellious. They don't want to submit to the authority of Titus or, or any of the elders that might be there presently. They don't want to submit to the authority of God's word. They're insubordinate people. They're empty talkers. They talk a lot. They say a lot of things, but it's all fluff. These are masters of catchphrases and buzzwords. They sound really important, really cool. They might talk about uh, synergy and vision casting. Not necessarily bad ther- terms, but, but they, they say things like this and people are like, oh, wow, these guys know what they're talking about. But at the end of the day, what they're saying is really irrelevant. They might use cool words, but... In reality, they're just uh, speaking a lot of word salad. They're empty talkers. No no deep spiritual importance to what they're saying. Just a lot of fluff. And they're described as being deceivers. It would be bad enough that these people are rebellious and that they're saying a lot of stuff that's meaningless, but... They're also deceiving people. They're lying. They're setting themselves up as important as as scholarly, knowledgeable men. But the things that they are saying to everyone is deceptive. Leading them astray. Who are these people? Paul uh, identifies them broadly as saying that uh, many of these these people uh, belong to the circumcision party. The circumcision party. Now, this is the identity of the false teachers. 
And you probably know from your study of scripture, uh, generally what these people are, who they are, what they were teaching. The circumcision party might also be referred to as Judaizers. These are the people in the ancient church who were saying, well, yes, we need Jesus. But you know, in addition to needing Jesus, we also all need to be good Jews. You Gentile converts, faith in Christ really isn't enough to save you. What you actually need is to become a faithful Jewish person. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep all all of the Old Testament laws. You need to be ritually pure according to all of our uh, ritual purity. And they're coming into the church saying that what saves you is faith in Jesus and being a good Jew. And this is a problem, isn't it? They're adding to the gospel. They are not holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Instead, they're saying Jesus plus something. Dear people, dear people, it is never Jesus plus something that saves you. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who saves you. And because they're teaching these things, they must be responded to, Paul tells Titus. He says to him, they must be silenced. Now, when he tells Titus to silence them, he's not suggesting that Titus go and and put tape over their mouths. He's telling Titus that Titus, who is holding firm to the trustworthy word, needs to bring that to bear. He needs to present that to the people in Crete, to the churches. He needs to confront these false teachers with the truth of God's word, reminding them of who God is and what God has said, of who Christ is and what Christ has done, silencing them by bringing the truth to them, the truth which they will have to either uh, acquiesce to, accept, or reject entirely, thus showing that they are no part of the church at all. They must be silenced, Paul says, and they must be silenced because this is spiritually dangerous. Paul says they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They're dangerous. They're upsetting families. They're making shipwreck of the faith of others. This word upset uh, is to turn over, to capsize, perhaps. How would you like to be on a boat that capsizes. You wouldn't. That means the boat tips over into the water. It's on its side or it's upside down. And the boat is no safe haven for you at that point. Paul says that's what this false teaching is doing to people. Whole families, not even just individuals, but entire families are, are being led astray. Entire families are saying, wait, I... I have to do something for my salvation in addition to Jesus? I I have to earn God's favor in my life? Well, how am I supposed to do that? I'm a sinner. How How can I earn God's favor? They're being overturned, capsized, led astray, wrecked. That is a spiritual danger of false doctrine. So Paul tells Titus and the elders who will be appointed in Crete, you must confront this. You must silence it. It should have no place in the church. 
Indeed, it should have no place in our churches today, and yet it does. So often, false teachings are expounded by people who profess Christ. There's many false teachings today. Some of them are more readily identifiable. Some of them a little more subtle. Which is why we must hold so fast to the word of God. Why we must study it as much as as we can. So that we can recognize false teaching. So we can say, hey, wait a minute. You, You said that. That does not really seem to line up with what God has said in his word. And then we can go back to the word. And we can study the word. And we can say, well, yeah, that doesn't line up with what God says at all. We should be ready, equipped, prepared to confront false teaching. We should be ready, prepared, and equipped to confront false teaching when it's in our church. We should be also prepared when it comes to our front door. There are certain groups, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, who will come to our very front door. And we have excellent opportunity, don't we, to confront false teaching and to present them with the true gospel. Now, it's much easier when you see Jehovah's Witness or or Mormons at your front door to politely say, oh, sorry, I'm just about to leave, can't stay and talk and to go on about our business. Or it's easy, perhaps, to just sit there and pretend like you're not home at all and wait for them to leave. But is that what we should do? No, dear, dear people, we should be prepared to confront their false doctrine and to present them with the true gospel with an accurate picture and portrayal of Christ. Telling them that there is, in fact, salvation in the Lord Jesus and a salvation abundant and free, available for you if you trust in him. That is what we should do, and we should confront false teachings because they're present in our church and in our everyday lives. And that's what Paul tells to Titus here. There's problems with doctrine. They should be confronted. But Paul also tells Titus that there's problems with culture. Now, he's still talking about these false teachers here in verses 12 through 14. But he begins to make reference to some cultural things. Let's look at what he says here in these verses. Verses 12 through 14. Paul writes to Titus, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. See, Paul addresses this problem with culture by giving us a description of Cretans and then showing how that is something which ought not to be a description of of Christians, something for which these men ought to be rebuked, uh, changed in. So he says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This, uh, this prophet uh, who spoke these things, a Greek man, was Epimenides. He lived in about 600 BC or so, I think. So a very long time before Paul. And it's interesting that this man who said this thing about Crete about 600 years before Paul is still being quoted and Paul's saying, this is actually still true about Cretans. That seems to be a little bit of an issue, doesn't it? If what was true about Cretans, that they are, are people who are characterized by, by lies and acting like animals, 
uh, who are just lazy gluttons, if that was true for a whole span of 600 years, we see that there's a serious problem in Cretan culture. Now, you might be wondering why Paul calls Epimenides a prophet. Uh, He's not saying that Epimenides is inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, and so that we should accept everything that he says as Scripture. What he is saying is that this man, back in his day, was actually regarded by people around him as kind of having a prophetic prophetic voice. But he's also a person who, who spoke the truth here about this issue. So we should listen to people when they say the truth about something. Cretans have problems. Oh, and regarding Epimenides, sorry, I just saw this in my notes. Um, This is also a very scathing critique of the false teachers. Because Paul is saying here that a heathen philosopher, Epimenides, is actually speaking more truth than the false teachers who are in the churches of Crete which is quite, a, quite an indictment, one which we should, we should pray is never true of us. See, the Judaizing Cretans were exhibiting the worst qualities of their culture. Now, Paul's not saying that every single person in the Cretan churches is characterized by these things. I don't think every single person in the whole of Crete is characterized by these things, but this is a cultural description of the people of Crete. And we have cultural descriptions of different places now, don't we? What perhaps might be a cultural description of people who live in the United States of America? Think about that. I'm not going to say what I think some of those descriptions might be, but there's definitely some of them which characterize people in our culture which perhaps should not characterize Christians. Culture influences us, doesn't it? It does. There's no getting around it. The things that we watch on TV, the things that we read, simply being around other people tends to influence us. It gets into your mind. It might change you. That's why in the book of Proverbs we're told that bad company corrupts good morals, corrupts good character. The culture that you spend time in and around can influence you. Now, does that mean that we all need to retreat and become monks so that we're not influenced by culture? No, but it means we should be aware of this fact, that we should be asking ourselves, how is culture influencing me? How is culture influencing you? Is the things that you read, the things that you watch, is that conforming you to the image of the world, or is it conforming you to the image of Christ? This is an important thing. We should be comparing these these things which we read, which we watch, which we think about to what Scripture says. I think it's a very grievous thing in in our culture that blasphemy and foul language are so prevalent you can hardly go out in public these days without, without hearing someone say something. Taking the Lord's name in vain or, or speaking an obscene word. How does that affect you? 
personally, I sometimes don't even notice it anymore. It just kind of goes right past me. When someone takes the Lord's name in vain, we ought to be grieved. We ought to recognize that that's a sin. But so often it happens and we just say, well, that's just the culture we live in. How is culture influencing us? We should not be influenced by culture. Rather, the gospel of Christ, which we take out into the world, should influence culture. We should proclaim the gospel so that more people hear about Jesus. More people are are by the Holy Spirit convicted of their sins and they turn to Christ. We should be conformed to Christ, not the world. Well, these false teachers uh, in Crete, they were being conformed to the world. They were exhibiting traits of, the worst traits of Cretans. And so Paul calls on Titus and, and the leaders of the church to rebuke them, to rebuke them sharply. This is, this is the biggest rebuke, uh, the superlative here. Rebuke them sharply. Don't just kind of slap them on the wrist and say, okay, well, we dealt with that. Take the word of God to them. Point out to them each and every area of where their doctrine has, has veered off the path where it is separated from true biblical doctrine, Paul says, rebuke them sharply. Say, you must repent of this. Do not continue in this any longer. They're to be rebuked. Why? So that they will be sound in the faith. Sound in the faith. Paul is reminding Titus, rebuke, correction, church discipline is not meant to hurt, but to heal. You might think of times when you were young and your, your mom gave you medicine, which was probably particularly gross to you. You didn't like it at all, but she reminded you this is actually good for you. If you take this, it will help your body fight against the infection. It'll help you to get better. That is the purpose of this rebuke. That's the purpose of, of church discipline. It's, it's supposed to be a, a medicine so that these people would be sound in the faith. You know, in Second Peter, we're reminded that false teachers uh, will appear in the church, and he reminds us that those people will, will be condemned. If they continue in their false teaching, we want to rebuke sharply false teachers. We want to correct them because we don't want them to be condemned. We ought to to desire their repentance and their return to Christ. Their faith, their soundness, health in the true and living doctrine which God has given to us. And so they are to be rebuked so that they will no longer devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. We had Cretan Cretan culture on one side and we now have Jewish culture on other side. What are these Jewish myths and commands of men? Well, 1 Timothy 1.4 also speaks of myths and genealogies and to the best of my knowledge in my studies is probably a reference to what was very popular 
uh, in kind of Jewish mysticism and spirituality of the time. They would uh, read these non-scriptural books that had uh, fictitious tales about minor characters in the Old Testament. And they were saying like, oh, there's, look at this cool, like little hidden knowledge that we have about these minor characters in the Old Testament. Oh, look at these genealogies that we can, we can trace through these, these mystical things with, with numbers and different signs. Paul's saying, they shouldn't be holding to these things. This isn't God's word. This is all weird made up stuff that doesn't uh, instruct us in godliness, doesn't lead us to Christ. It's, it's a myth. It's pretend. We also maybe have myths. We have, we have some uh, tall tales here in the United States, uh, some of which are actually based on real people, like Johnny Appleseed. But it would be a mistake for us to say, well, Johnny Appleseed went and planted all of these apple trees. And what that teaches us about the Bible is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was actually an apple tree. See how convoluted and, and strange that is. Well, the people here in Crete were doing the same kind of thing. They were making these, these convoluted, uh, strange, weird connections with, with their fictitious stories and things in the Bible. And in doing so, they were confusing people and leading them astray. And Paul says they shouldn't be doing that. That cultural uh, thing should also be excised. Well, they were also teaching the commandments of men instead of the commandments of God, something uh, probably inherited from Pharisees who, you know, made all sorts of extra rules to keep people from getting anywhere close to breaking any of God's laws. What the problem is, is those commandments that the Pharisees created, those commandments that other people created were ending up taking the place of God's commandments. And so Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for these added commandments and Titus is supposed to rebuke these people because they're adding commandments to God's word. They're adding to God's word, adding to God's law, and thereby perverting the word of God. They've got some cultural problems, Cretan cultural problems, Jewish cultural problems. Those things are coming into the church and affecting the things being taught, and it's leading people astray. And so Paul tells Titus, these people must be confronted about that as well. For cultural issues, for doctrinal issues, and finally, because of this most important aspect, this most important uh, problem that all men are born into, namely a problem uh, with the heart. Why are there problems with culture? Why are there problems with false teachings? Well, it's because of problems with the heart. Here in verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure. Now remember, he's still talking about these uh, people who are part of the circumcision party. who are still expressing false doctrine in this. And so it would seem then that the Judaizers were teaching that that. These people had to be ritually pure before God for salvation. They had to keep all of the Old Testament, oh, excuse me, all of the Old Testament ceremonies and, and laws to be right before God. Again, they were they were adding to the gospel 
They're saying it's Jesus plus doing all of these things, being ritually pure. Well, Paul says to the pure, that is one who is pure in heart, one who has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, one who has been redeemed, all things are pure. We can, uh, we can think of uh, when Christ said that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of the heart defiles him. It's not ritual things that would make you unpure. It would be an impure heart. And you also remember in Acts 10, when God tells Peter he can take and eat all of these Gentile foods, and, and Peter says, well, Lord, I, I can't do that. that would, they're unclean. That would make me ritually impure. And God says, no, Peter, what, what I've made clean is now clean. It isn't what goes into a man. It isn't the rituals that would cause you to be pure or impure. It's the heart that causes a person to be pure or impure before God. The heart which has been cleansed by the blood of Christ is indeed pure. It's a new heart. It's no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. It's a good heart that God has placed in his people, the heart that loves God and desires to do what he says. And that is pure. What God is, has purified is indeed pure. But Paul says these people who are, are teaching false things, they're not pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. To those who, who do not trust in Christ, even keeping all of the, the rituals of the Old Testament can do nothing to purify them. They could bathe themselves a hundred times a day, but it would never purify them. They could eat only uh, clean foods their entire life, and that still would not purify them because to the unbelieving to those who have not been washed by the blood of Christ, nothing is pure. Nothing. They're defiled. Anyone who's not trusting in Christ is, is defiled. They themselves are unclean in thought, word, and in deed. And he closes this, this section of the letter by showing how these Judaizers, these, these false teachers are shown to be impure. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. This is the unhappy status of the false teachers of Crete. They profess to know God. They say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Well, sure, I go to church every Sunday. Well, yeah, I do good deeds. I always tithe. I'm a Christian. But what you won't hear them say is, my faith is in Christ and in Christ alone. Because their faith is not in Christ alone, because they have not been regenerated, they are not able to do deeds acceptable to God. They deny him by their works. Even their very uh, actions of seeking to keep uh, the ritual laws that they say everybody needs to keep is seen as sin. Because they're not trusting in Christ. And anything that we do, any good work that we try to do outside of Christ is sin. So these people are denying God by their works. The pattern of their lives is showing that 
They might profess faith, but there is no faith there. The heart has not been cleansed. The heart has not been renewed in Christ. They need the cleansing of Christ because they're not trusting in him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They should not be teaching anyone in the church. In fact, they should be seen as completely outside the church because they have added to the gospel, because they have twisted the word of God, because they're contradicting the clear teaching of Scripture that salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Well, as we come to an end here, I would like to give just perhaps one more point of application. We see here in these false teachers that they are guilty of legalism, real legalism. Now, many times, if a person is serious about obeying God, about wanting to uh, do what pleases God, some people might say, hey, you're being legalistic. Well, that's not what legalism is. What legalism really is is saying I can be saved by my good works and I am adding to what the Bible says about good works uh, in order to be even more holy before God. And there's really, uh, legalism has been, a, it's, it's been a problem in the church for the entirety of the church as we see here in Titus. There's always people who say, well, yeah, I'll start with Jesus, but I'll get to heaven all on my own merit. Your brothers and sisters, that is, that's completely false. That must be rejected outright. Legalism is a heresy. Now, we should, out of, out of thanksgiving and joy and love to God, seek to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so we should, because we love Jesus, seek to obey him. But we must never think that in seeking to obey Jesus, we are earning extra credit before God. No, our good deeds are accepted in Christ because of who Christ is and what he has done. We can't earn extra credit, but we can live lives of love and thanksgiving to our Savior. So there's, there's legalism on the one hand, but another issue which arises when people are like, oh, we don't want to be legalists, is they swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and become antinomians. Now, antinomian children is just a big word which means against law. These are the kind of people who say, well, we're saved by grace through faith. Christ has done everything. And so now I can live any way that I want to live because of grace. I can sin in any way I want to sin because I'm already forgiven in Jesus. I can lie, cheat, steal, and it's fine because of Jesus. Now that, brothers and sisters, is also damnable heresy. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. May God forbid. By no means. No. The most emphatic of no's. We have been called to be a people holy to God, separate living lives of loving, joyful, thanksgiving, and obedience to God. So we have those two problems. How do we keep from stepping to the one side or the other? 
Simply put, we must be people of the book. We must hold firm to the trustworthy word that God has given to us. This is why it's so important, brothers and sisters, for us to be, to be reading God's word and studying it. Not because uh, that's some good deed that earns us brownie points in heaven, but because this is God's gracious and loving gift to us to instruct us in how we may live. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the Bible teaches us what we're to believe about God and the duty that God requires of us. And I think that is the most helpful little summary of what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us good doctrine, what we are to believe about God. It teaches us what God wants us to do. And so we must learn what God wants us to do. We must study it. And more importantly, we must obey God. That's what he has called us to do, to conform our lives to Christ, the Christ of the scripture, so that we have good doctrine, no longer problems with, God, with doctrine, so that that culture which surrounds us does not influence us, but because we're in Christ, because we're being conformed to the image of Christ, no longer does culture uh, influence us, but we begin to live lives honoring to God and hopefully influencing cultures. God has given us his word. He's shown us Christ in his word so that the spirit comes and works in our hearts and gives us good new hearts, washes us by the blood of Christ. And we no longer have a problem with the heart, but we have a new good heart, a heart which is pure and loves God and seeks to do what he says. This is why we need God's word. This is why uh, elders must hold firm to this word, not teaching what they want to teach, but teaching the scriptures. God has given us his word because because there are problems with bad doctrine and ungodly culture, and because men have heart problems, stony hearts. But thanks be to God, he has given us this word to guide us and direct us. Let us thank him for it. Let us search this word out so that we, we know everything we can know about God and about our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we do thank you for your word Lord, we, we thank you for this word in particular. Lord, we, we do see uh, those many different uh, areas of, of doctrine, of culture, of, of the problems of hearts, Lord, that, that needs must be changed by you. Oh, Lord, you are sovereign. You can do all your will. We ask, Lord, that, that you would help us to do your will. Lord, that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Father, I do ask that if there are any here who need new hearts, that you would purify them by the blood of Christ. For those of us who have been influenced by culture, Father, I pray that uh, you would conform us more to the image of Christ instead of the image of culture. And Father, I pray that you would give us all good doctrine, biblical doctrine, that we would hold fast to the word which you have given to us, that we would be able to know the truth and speak the truth to those around us. We ask that you would do this for your glory and honor. We ask in Christ's name, amen. And well, let's take a few moments now to uh, meditate on the word, perhaps. Uh, if you have uh, some bad doctrine or if you've struggled with being influenced by culture, perhaps if you're not trusting in Christ, use these next few moments to cry out to God, to ask him to to purify you, to change you, to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ.